So as we know, 15th of August is Sri Aurobindo's birthday. And one of the good ways to spend these days to be in the memory of Sri Aurobindo. Now when we talk about Sri Aurobindo and his life, we often hear, uh, and I have read also, and I am sure everyone has read, different aspects of Sri Aurobindo and generally what is mentioned is Sri Aurobindo the poet, Sri Aurobindo the philosopher, Sri Aurobindo the revolutionary, Sri Aurobindo the yogi, uh, Sri Aurobindo the journalist, uh, we often forget, Sri Aurobindo the writer and author and so on and so forth. Uh, but these are not so much aspects of Sri Aurobindo as they are uh, his outer personality or the expressions of who Sri Aurobindo is. These are the activities, the works and also the veils behind which the true Sri Aurobindo remains hidden, infinite, waiting for us to respond to who he is. When uh, we talk about a person, when we think about a person, it's not these outer works, but something which is more intrinsic, more essential, something which not defines but in a certain sense qualifies or brings into bold relief something more fundamental of his personality. And when I think of Sri two words that come to my mind spontaneously are Sri representing Tyaga and Tapasya. These two words come very strongly in my mind. And with regard to us humanity, Sri the ever compassionate master. Just as when I think of mother, what comes to mind is spontaneously a vast, infinite love embracing the whole creation, earth and gods and demons and men and birds and beasts and plants and stones and everything else. What a vast, infinite love. And when we turn to Sri what a vast, infinite compassion leaning down to heal us, help us, lift us to glories of the spirit. But what is it that uh, really distinguishes Sri Aurobindo from a great number of line of seers and sages? Uh, of course, we know about the supramental creation. He gives a meaning, a new purpose to earth and his journey, without which life would have been an absurdity. Because the choice was between on one side nirvana, which, is, which makes an absurdity of the entire creation of man included, and on the other side, leading a life of ignorance, just as it is, which is an equal absurdity. But at least now we know that there is a greater purpose. And that purpose is not just to return back to the source from where we came, call it nothingness or call it infinity, but to express that. And that is the reason why we are here upon earth. And whatever time it takes, maybe few centuries, maybe few millenniums, it doesn't matter. That is the great direction in which earth is moving. But apart from this, what strikes us uh, in bold relief about Sri as I mentioned, is about his Tyaga and his Tapasya. The power of renunciation and the power of Tapasya, the concentrated spiritual endeavor. In a certain sense, the two are closely connected. For tapasya is about the concentration of all our energies in a certain direction, focused onto one particular goal with all the intensity. But then, before we can focus these energies, we need to gather them 
and to gather them means tyaga to renounce all that in which all those movements in which these energies are presently engaged and that's why shubhendu when he says that famous uh, thing about you know the divine is everywhere and in everything he cautions us that now the divine wants to create a new creation and a higher creation therefore even though the mother is everywhere in and in everything including lower nature we have to disengage from the mother in the lower nature and to reengage with the mother in the higher supernature so this renunciation we find so beautifully uh, embodied in shobindo's life the beauty of this renunciation on the one side is that there is no ostentatiousness about it there is no show people don't even know that such a renunciate lived and moved among them because he lived with ordinary men amongst ordinary humanity but when we look at his life some of the incidents for example one can see what a tremendous renunciate shorbindo could be take for example we know all know that shorbindo was married but we also know and uh, we just take it for granted that he hardly had what can be called as even the joy of a married life even when he goes to uh, nainital and you know that's the closest that we know that he uh, he goes there and he spend some time along with his wife but otherwise throughout we see that shurbindo lives the life of a renunciate and a brahmachari so much so that when in baroda this is a very beautiful uh, uh, episode that dinendra kumar roy recounts when uh, he comes to teach shurbindo bengali and we know that shurbindo was uh, he was expecting someone in suit and boot uh, because he is a you know educated in england but he sees someone with a plain dhoti and um, kurta and with a mat on the floor and he is sleeping on that and he asked shurbindo that you know why are you living like this and he laughed it off he doesn't make uh, any lecture about it he could have given a lecture that don't you know that i am a practitioner of yoga and i am having this experience or that experience he laughed and he simply said you know um, as brahmacharins in india you know very well this is the custom that we have to live like this he made it appear so simple and natural that is something very amazing about his renunciation that there is a naturalness about it there is an ease and spontaneity about it there is uh, not even a show of it uh, much later the mother would uh, recount that there is no place of renunciation in this yoga and she qualifies it that if you still feel that you are renouncing something and there is a sense of strain about it then that's not renunciation renunciation is the joyous letting go of all that stands in the way of the divine and countless stories and anecdotes of shirbindo we see here take one simple example where we see the combination of tyaga and tapasya uh, charuchandra dat uh, recounts this when he shobindo is out from the alipur jail and people have gathered in subodh malik's place we know subodh malik was the uh, brother in law of uh, charuchandra dat and a man with uh, both wealth and fame and who helped the revolutionaries very much with money and his influence so when they gather at his place at that on that particular day shobindo's father in law and his wife have arrived to spend some time with him to kolkata and there is a lot of buzz that ah after all after a long time there is going to be a reunion and they are going to meet so 
his wife, uh, Charuchandat's wife, she arranges some nice, well-ironed dress for him and there are instructions given to him that, look, today you are going to have dinner there with uh, your father-in-law and your wife. So, better get dressed properly and go. So, Shubindu just smiles and uh, then she, uh, before he is going, they make a nice garland, two garlands and they hand over to him and they say, look here, these two garlands are for you and Baudi, which means his wife. So, you will hand over one to her and she will put it around your neck and you will hand over, put around her neck one, the other garland. And Shubindu keeps smiling and saying, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> And when he is going, then he is given the instruction, look here and don't come back. You stay there tonight. Shubindu doesn't say anything and goes back, goes, goes to the house. And the instructions are given to the watchman that look here, uh, lock the gates because Shubindu is not going to come back. So by 11 o'clock, you lock the gates, uh, he will be staying there. Now they have all, you know, they are all imagining that ah, it's a wonderful day. After such a time, they must be meeting, etc., etc. And in the morning, suddenly, when they wake up, they get a message from the servant who looks after Shirobindo upstairs, and he comes and says, "Orobindo Babu has asked, would you have tea with him upstairs, or shall he come downstairs?" So they are all shocked, and then they go and discover that Shirobindo had come back at night. So they asked him that. I mean, didn't you go and have dinner? He said, yes. And then he tells that, Lilavati, I followed all your instructions. Just as you told me, I gave a flower to her and kept a garland with me and we put it around each other. But weren't you supposed to stay there? And Shubindu says again with his characteristic smile, his laughter. He says, no, no, I explained things to her and she understood. And so I went, came, came away after the dinner. Now, you know, this story which... Uh, you know, we, we can just laugh it off with Shurabindo. But if we really put ourselves in that situation, that someone who has lived in jail for a long time, has hardly had the joys, if you know what we normally talk of as joys of life of togetherness. And after so many long months and years, they meet together, Shurabindo has dinner and come back. We will be, you know, then we understand that what a tyag and tapasya there is. And he explains, see the beauty again of this story is there is no harshness in it. He doesn't say I am not going to meet my wife. He doesn't say I will not put the garland around her. He speaks to her, he explains to her and she understands and then he comes back. It is much more powerful. I found this a much more powerful and complete tyag than you know we speak about Buddha leaving his wife and child and walking away. But here is Shurabindo who leads his life like a Brahmacharin and doesn't make us uh, even feel that what a tremendous tapasya it would have been. And I'm sure anyone who has grappled with the uh, difficulties of human nature, its challenges and its uh, tough resistances knows very well how difficult it would have been for him. And yet he does it. And again, we see another very interesting instance. If you look at Shurabindo's life, it's a series of renunciation, series of renunciation. Uh, well, his birth itself, uh, as is there in Savitri, his birth held up a symbol and a sign. His was a spirit that stooped from higher spheres, a colonist from immortality. So his birth itself is an act of renunciation. Both mother and Shurabindo uh, chose to take birth in a human form and move amongst us. This itself is a tyaga. But then, if you see, his life is a series of tyag. 
So he renounces the ICS which people would have coveted because somewhere intuitively he knows that this is not what he wants to do but there is something else which is waiting for him. His life in Baroda is a life of renunciate even though he gets so much money but anything uh, there is hardly anything spent on his own upkeep and all the money is put in a bowl where you know people come and take it as they wish as they need and uh, when uh, he is asked again that you keep money like this isn't it uh, I mean are you sure the servants don't take more than they need and Shubhindu again laughs and says well it means that you know uh, there are honest people and at the end of the day God leaves uh, whatever is necessary for me. So even there he makes it appear as something very slight and that's when his family and everyone needs money and he gives money freely to everyone whereas his fa own family very often you know she would ask him and Shubhindu writes that shall I live only for my wife and for my family when the whole nation is knocking at my doors. He has not even told the countless stories which I am sure must have been there of Shubhindu's help to those who were in need and in distress. This is one phase of his life. But look at the another renunciation almost a roundabout that the moment there is a partition of Bengal and there is a call for Shirobindo, in fact it's Subodh Malik who calls him and says that if you come here then we will start the national college and Shirobindo at without even the least consideration I, I am not aware of people who would so readily leave a job of 750 rupees a month and go down for a job where eventually you are not sure whether you will even get a monthly emolument or not and with the family and he does it he does it so spontaneously, so naturally and plunges himself headlong in the freedom movement. What else is this but a tremendous spirit of renunciation? And no wonder during his uh, Bengal period, he was uh, referred to, especially Charuchandra Dutt writes, that we used to call him Tyagarajan. And he recounts many sweet incidents. Once when they are playing cards and uh, Shurabindo is sitting across with uh, Charuchandra Dutt's wife whereas on the other side it's Charu and another friend and uh, it seems that the way they are playing they keep winning all the cards as if Shobindo knew what is you know in the other person's hands but of course he keeps laughing and he wins all the hands and then they decide that we are going to make a nice sharbat so Shobindo says okay I'll come back in a few minutes and it was a sharbat which was favorite of Shobindo and uh, Dilawati says, I am going to make it. So you please come back fast. So Shubhindu goes to his room and the sharbat is ready and you know, the cold is turning into hot and they are waiting and waiting. Then they keep drinking. They think that he will come, he will come. After some time, they send a servant to check what has happened. And Shubhindu is deep into meditation. It's an amazing story. After some time, he comes down, you know, rubbing his eyes and says, ah, so... So they said that, you know, the sharbat is now become something else. He said, doesn't matter. It will still be sweet and still be tasty. It's amazing. I mean, how could he so naturally leave behind things, even his most favorite things so naturally? And then we see the same renunciation when Shivinda moves from the revolutionary period. I'm surprised that people who lived even close with him sometimes felt that he escaped. Even now, there are people who, you know, believe that he left the freedom struggle midway for whatever reasons and various reasons. 
But actually, if we look at it from the yoga point of view, this must have been one of the toughest kinds of renunciation which uh, anyone could can make. People renounce wealth. We have seen that in Shurabindu's life. People renounce family life, but they do it for name and fame. There have been people who have renounced all this, but they have wanted to be in the limelight. They have wanted to be regarded as someone great and special. But look at Shurabindu. The moment he gets a call, he just leaves everything. He leaves an entire movement which seems to be depending upon him. What a perfect renunciation of the entire ego self which often you know makes us believe that the whole world depends upon us. You know we often live with this illusion that well if we were not there things won't run smoothly or safely. There are people who even in old age stick to their thrones because they believe that they are indispensable. But look at Shurbindo. In the youthfulness of his energies he just drops it because he is called to greater fields and he of course knew that uh, the lines on which the freedom will take place have already been laid down and it is assured and so he leaves the field and goes regardless of what people think about him I am sure a lot of people must have thought many things uh, mostly not very good things that's why Shubindu had to once even issue a, a statement you know um, why he is there and you know where is he because all kinds of stories were floating that Shurabindu has gone to the Himalayas and is engaged in tapasya. That was a good opportunity for him to once again make a name. But he clarifies that he is not in search of Mahatmas in Himalayas. But he is uh, very much in a kind of self-imposed seclusion. He doesn't say that I am engaged in very deep tapasya. You ignorant people don't know what I am doing. It's amazing. And he does it so spontaneously, so naturally. When... Uh, if I remember correctly they were two senior congress functionary of that time and even John Baptista's letter is there and when they ask Shurbindo what are you doing and Shurbindo simply pauses for a moment and says well nothing who can say like that we love to speak about all the things that we are doing we love to see our things uh, our books getting printed our names going here and there but look at Shurbindo he didn't even bother and it was the mother who coaxed him to write. People unfortunately uh, believe that it was her husband but mother has clarified it. That it was because of my insistence, because she wanted. And therefore Shurbindo uh, started writing the Arya. It was not like you know he wanted uh, himself, even if none of it was written. Even if the world didn't know him as a poet or a philosopher or a yogi or anything else. Still Shurabindu would be the same, a supreme renunciate and a supreme tapasvi because that's what he was here for. In fact, there is a very interesting letter, very short letter. Some of the short letters are very, very powerful. Uh, when he was asked about when will he get his siddhi and final siddhi and Shurabindu says that I have not come here for siddhi, I have come here for sadhana. Who can write like this? I have not come for Siddhi. And so prophetic. And we see that not only that, he renounces experience after experience. We hold on to one experience. I have seen people, I mean, who one realization and not even realization, experience, and they are talking about it all their life. Well, it's wonderful, but this is a gift of grace. As if they have got this experience. And look at Shurabindo, just letting it go. Even when he speaks about it, 
I mean, it's amazing when he speaks of the Uttarpada speech, where we see Shubindo first time speaking about his experiences. And what an experience? It's a realization which yogis will covet. But look how he says. He puts it so nicely that when he entered the jail, it is, you know, Sri Krishna comes to him. He makes it appear that everything is the Leela Vasudev and it is a gift given to him. Yes, it is a gift, no doubt, but we should understand that how Shubindo makes it all, even when he speaks of the experience, it's not about him. It's about the experience, the truth that is revealed. It's not that he had the experience, but what was the content of the experience? He says, he showed to me. What did he show? That these people whom you regard as low, fallen, criminals, they are the ones I am going to raise and I am going to build a new India. So that experience is mentioned in a certain context. And then we see hill after hill was climbed, but he would leave it behind. Mother speaks uh, of his, uh, you know, the Siddhi day we all celebrate. And of course, it's a remarkable day and, you know, people lectures and so many things. <laughs> I myself spoken on that day. But look at Shurabindo, uh, the one who was in the center of it. So the mother saw that was a time when the overmind creation was being realized and she was asking the gods, uh, you would help and they would all say help. Would you like to tie to a human body? No. We will help. We will help in various ways. But don't ask us to tie to a human body. And then she says, accept Sri Krishna. He agreed. It is his work, as Sri says, which is being done here. And he goes and he saw him fuse with Sri and he speaks about the personality of Shri Krishna, the avatar. Because of course, Shri Krishna is eternal, the supreme Sachidananda. Shri Krishna, the personality of the avatar, fuses with Sri So she says, I went to meet Sri and to tell him about it. And Sri response is, yes, yes, I know. And then she says, he was himself quite indifferent about it. It as if nothing much has happened. And that's why he could say nothing short of the super mind. And what a renunciation. She has created an overmind world. The gods are descending. That was a time when many of the sadhaks were having wonderful, amazing experiences. And when she is asked, um, you know, she goes and tells to Shurabindu and she says, Well, uh, it's wonderful. We will do miraculous things. We can even make the greatest of all religions and for all time to come, people will, the whole earth and humanity will bow down as the greatest of religions with this incredible realizations, this creation that you have had. But it is an overmind creation. We don't want this. Nothing short of the supermind, perfect perfection can fulfill what I am aspiring for. That's why at one place he says, the boon we have asked from the supreme is the highest that earth can ever ask. It's not for himself but for earth. And sure enough, she says, with my inner consciousness I understood and within two hours they dissolved everything. Now all this has happened so naturally. You know, We recount about this in the history of the ashram. But when we reflect upon it, when we contemplate upon it, what is the image of Sri that comes to us? The image of someone who could renounce even the highest realizations. He renounces wealth, he renounces his degree, the possibility of a job, he renounces even name and fame. He renounces a position, it's very difficult to renounce the sense of responsibility. 
you know human beings always suffer from that and he renounces all these things and then he renounces experience after experience realizations after realizations and for whose sake for us earthlings who don't even know we still you know don't value shurbindo because if we really valued him then instead of really looking left and right we would like to emulate a little bit of who he is not of course outwardly because outward emulation is the easiest part that i'll shut myself in a room and not move out that is dangerous but to try to embody a little bit of that compassion a little bit of that you know have that gratitude towards him for what he has done a little bit of that power of renunciation a little bit of that concentrated spiritual endeavor which is tapasya where we can focus upon that one goal which he places before us we ask how long when how does it matter what is important is that he has said yes the time has come the time maybe a few hundred years a thousand years how does it matter aren't we ready to walk with him so this is how when i look at shurbindo the his tyaga and his tapasya and along with that the compassion which repeatedly the mother and shubinda have said even his justice so well tempered with compassion repeatedly those who were close to him speaks about speak about it and finally we see even in his departure you know the geeta speaks sri krishna says in the geeta that my birth and my works are divine janm karm chame divyam obviously sri krishna spoke about the geeta before his physical withdrawal otherwise he would have said that even in departure i have you know done a divine act but with shurbindo we can see that what did mother say he said he renounced even in the end there is a great renunciation he renounced the possibility of realization in his own body to hasten the collective realization upon earth he could have just gone ahead but instead he was constantly renouncing so that he could help us move up the ladder one step closer one step closer and even after going to the other side mother says he was preparing everything because he had seen the world is not ready there is a picture of shurbindo where you know uh, 1920 and mother says it's a picture where you can see that compassion in shurbindo because he has just come out of his ascetic phase and he knows that the world is not ready he is looking upon it and 1950 picture she says there is suffering which is there on his face because he knew that world is not responsive and then she says when i saw this picture i was shocked because he would never bring even a trace of it in front of me because he knew that i would immediately get it he would cover it up that is shurbindo that he covers up with his renunciation with a smile he covers up his tapasya with a laughter and makes it appear all so easy when we look at his letters to niruddha to dilip kumar roy to countless others what he has given his laughter sunlight love compassion and what he has taken for himself is all the poison that has risen from earth like nilkanth like shiva so this is how we i think we should remember shurbindo be grateful for all that not only he has done but continues to do when i think it was 1969 or maybe 71 when the mother was asked that how is the work 
he says that his work has become even more powerful even more intense like a golden force that is pressing down and down and down upon earth and that's what we should remember that he has done this so that earth can rejoice it will be a waste waste in the sense individually because the divine effort is never wasted but it will be a waste in the sense we will lose this the power of this tremendous sacrifice if we spend our time in doubting and wondering oh shrivindo has gone mother has gone what about the supramental world well if they have gone they have gone behind the scene because they have seen that this is the way that the supramental world can come even faster and of course his final gift the gift of grace which he kept in our hands to steer us through this long passage because there is a big gap between man as he now is and the divine superman who he is destined to become and that's the assurance he has given us but during this passage man will need something someone to guide and they knew of course there are those who directly have a contact with mother and shobindo and they need nothing else and no one else but there are those who do not they are not so not yet so ready or so fortunate and they look towards this human being or that human being but there is no need because they have placed in our hands the greatest gift and that is the gift of savitri so savitri is the guide for this period this interregnum as man moves from man to superman the creation of today to the creation of tomorrow we shall close with these few lines magical lines where shobindo reveals this truth that as we journey from our present state to what we shall be savitri will be our guide we don't need anything else we don't need anyone else she herself will awaken us it's not just words but consciousness shobindo and the mother's consciousness their combined experiences and realization you know there is this thing in india that we are not supposed to speak about our realizations why because we pass it on to someone it can be stolen by someone but shurbindo is sharing their realizations to us so that that state of consciousness something of that some touch of that can go into us human gurus human masters even those who are on this path can at the most instruct us maybe they can point us to a bit of here and there maybe they can uh, you know help us give some technique or some method but savitri can create in us the matrix necessary for the realization transmit to uh, to us directly the state of consciousness of mother and shobindo which savitri embodies and the best part is and i keep saying this that this is in english language which is now an international language if for nothing else it's worth reading english just to read savitri so we'll close with these lines it's not the first time they are doing this work they have come again and again and as the mother said she never left the earth since its inception page 702703 oh satyavan oh luminous savitri this is the duet satyavan is us our soul savitri is the divine grace embodied in the divine mother and that consciousness embodied in the book i sent you forth of old beneath these stars 
a dual power of God in an ignorant world, in a hedged creation shut from limitless self, bringing down God to the insentient globe, lifting earth beings to immortality. And now some very interesting lines. Mother repeatedly reminded, it is very beautiful to be inspired by Shurabindo, but very dangerous to express his teachings in such a clear-cut way as to create a system out of it. The moment we define a system or carve a system out of Shurabindo, we have finished it because we have put the infinite in a framework. This framework may be fine for me at a point of time. But as I move upward, this framework is bound to go. Something else will come, something else will come till we are free of all frames. It's the same thing like when we are at Samadhi. Somebody kneels down, somebody bows down, somebody offers a flower, somebody stands, somebody meditates. But all the same, each one connects in their own way. The important thing is to connect. So she cautions us here again in Savitri. Shurabindu is cautioning us. In the world of my knowledge and my ignorance, where God is unseen and only is heard a name, and knowledge is trapped in the boundaries of mind. This is what we should avoid doing. Shubindo likes this. Mother does not like this. This is dangerous. Or to build a very clear-cut system from mind to supermind, these are the levels, each level equal to this, this, this. Because then we, it's, it's okay for our individual understanding. Like Savitri is untranslatable. But it's okay to translate it for our own joy. Mother has said so. But we should be careful not to turn this great and mighty teaching. In her own words she says, Who can understand Shurabindo? He is as vast as the universe. And his teaching is infinite. It's very strange. Because she has used the word vast as universe for Shurabindo and infinite for his teaching. Because normally, logically, the logical mind would think it would, should be the other way around. But here it's about Shurabindo, the personality, the persona. That is vast as the universe. And teaching, why it is infinite? Because it opens the door to the infinite. There are infinite ways, infinite levels through which it takes us. And life is hauled in the dragnet of desire and matter hides the soul from its own sight. You are my force at work to uplift earth's feet. This is his force. He has embodied it in a body of word, the sound body, the mantra body of Shurabindu and the mother. Myself that moves up the immense incline. That's why, you know, when it is said that Bhagavat in our ancient tradition, it is the self of Sri Krishna. Now, you know, we understand it, you know, what it means. It's his very body, his self. Between the extremes of the spirits, night and day, he is my soul that climbs from nascent night through life and mind and supernature's vast to the supernal light of timelessness. And my eternity hid in moving time. And my boundlessness cut by curve of space. So he is bringing the infinite and the finite together. A few lines below. 
he is the soul of man climbing to god in nature surge out of earth's ignorance and who is savitri the eternal companion the light of truth which he has left with us made it even more accessible but as i said to those who are fortunate to directly feel the mother's presence to have been touched by her love experienced a touch of her oneness need nothing else that is sufficient unto itself just to call her name but then still we want something outward i mean of course even as i say this i fumble because there is nothing more tangible than the mother's direct touch nothing more concrete but still sometimes there is a state there is a phase when we want something to hold on to something we more tangible so here is something more tangible we don't need anything else or anyone else so here is what it reminds us oh savitri thou art my spirit's power we should not forget that shurbindo even when his eyesight was fading almost completely still he was keen for completing savitri he is one yogi who never you know sat in retirement and is so strange when people use the word retirement with shurbindo i do not know of any yogi more dynamic than him <laughs> from his room he was conducting the affairs of the world so those who want to lead a very retired life of yoga thinking that they are copying shurbindo by shutting themselves in a room do not know how dynamic shurbindo has been right up to the very end if we may use the word end for someone who is timeless and eternal even we know that how the darshan has been hurried through on 24th november 1950 and yet he came what it would have meant for him with all the poison that he was absorbing to sit there but he knows my children are there and they need me and he's pouring and pouring upon them and both of them knew the revealing voice of my immortal word so savitri is the power the embodied force and is the revealing voice of his immortal word the face of truth upon the roads of time pointing to the souls of men the roots to god amazing line we don't need anything else while the dim light from the veiled spirits speak falls upon matters stark inconscient sleep as if a pale moon beam on a dense glade and mind in a half light moves and half amid half truths and mind in a half light moves amid half truths and the human heart knows only human love and life is a stumbling and imperfect force and the body counts out and the body counts out its precarious days so he says that this is how human life will advance even when it uses the word love because savitri is the embodiment of love it will know human love for it life is counted from day to day precarious life full of danger difficulty the mind half lit half truths so there what shall help man in the journey you shall be born into man's dubious hours now you see we can look at this birth as a material birth that you know god is taking a human body but here birth is far more profound the birth of savitri 
what Savitri represents, that power, that consciousness, that presence in the human heart. In body and body shall be kindled the sacred birth. You shall be born in man's dubious hours, in forms that hide the soul's divinity so clearly. Within man's heart, you shall be born and man will not know, but his life will begin to change by your mere presence. And show through veils of the earth's doubting air my glory breaking as through clouds a sun or burning like a rare and inward fire and with my nameless influence fill men's lives. This is the magic of Savitri that the more we dwell upon it, the more we enter into the depths of its consciousness. It begins to not only kindle the secret fire within, but fills us with that luminosity, with that love from the beyond. And we shall stop with these few lines, five lines or six lines. Yet shall they look up as to peaks of God and feel God like a circumambient air and rest on God as on a motionless space. This is the effect of Savitri. That you feel that you are surrounded by the atmosphere of the divine. Circumambient air. You begin to look up to the peaks. And you begin to rest. This earth, this base of our life begins to change into God's playground. Yet shall there glow on mine like a horned moon. The spirit's crescent splendor in pale skies. And by the mere fact of reading and dwelling upon it, moon which is a symbol of the spiritual consciousness will begin to grow in man and begin to glow and send its rays to the outer consciousness and light man's life upon his Godward road. So when people ask, who is the guide? Of course, Mother and Shubindu are much more than guide. They are much more than Guru. <laughs> In fact, they are much more than Avatar. Personally, I feel when I use the word Avatar for Shurabindo, I limit him. He is much more. He is infinity in a human shape. Well, we may say that's what an Avatar is. Maybe, yes. But for me, he is the eternal who draws himself close to us to touch our hearts and uplift our body and mind and soul. But if you ask then, who is the guide and the Guru? Well, they can be the guide and the guru, but there is a guide and a guru embodied in Savitri. And we need nothing else and nobody else. So with this, I would stop reading a small little incident from Shobindu's life. It's from his Baroda days. Look at, you know, people would covet a position to be near to the Maharaja. And people looked up to Shirobindo also. And yet, sometimes of an evening or an afternoon, a cavalry man would trot up from the Lakshmi Vilas palace with a letter for Shirobindo from the private secretary of the Maharaja. The secretary wrote, 
the maharaja would be very pleased if you would dine with him tonight or sometimes he wrote would it be convenient to you to see the maharaja in such and such an hour i have seen that pressed for time shurbindo would sometimes even decline the maharaja's invitation here are we his children wanting to meet the ministers who visit the town and feel ourselves great by being in the attendees list look at shurbindo maharaja that time he is greater than the prime minister today you know one of those provinces which never conceded to acceded to the britishers how many respectable men danced attendance on the maharaja for months together in the hope of getting an interview with him and here was a mere teacher look at the irony who considered his duty much more valuable than the favor of a king the maharaja knew shurbindo very well he knew his worth and valued it Shubindo was always indifferent to pleasure and pain. I am reading from Rishabh Chand, but this is, of course, quoted from Dinendra Nath Roy's Shubindo's Prasang, Barodas Prasang. Shubindo was always indifferent to pleasure and pain, prosperity and adversity, praise and blame. This is written by someone who watched Shubindo at very close quarters for at least two years, lived with him. he bore all hardships with an unruffled mind always remembering the great gospel as thou o lord seated in my heart appointest me so do i act and absorbed in the contemplation of his adored deity the fire that would have consumed any other man to ashes to ashes has served only to burn out his eyeness and render him brighter than ever there is no end to it but let us close with this beautiful prayer and invocation may our eyeness and mindness be burnt forever at his feet